Well, it's uh, been quite an extraordinary year, hasn't it, really? What a year. Just think back over this last year, if you may, and, and just think, uh, would you have known 12 months ago what Article 50 actually was? Probably not. I mean, what an extraordinary year. Would you have thought that an angry, impulsive man, a man with a long history of demeaning women, uh, a man who has used a kind of debate as a platform for abuse, who of us would have thought 12 months ago that a man like that in just a few weeks will have the codes to launch the world's largest nuclear arsenal? It's extraordinary, isn't it? What a year. It's funny, isn't it? We live in a world uh, that suggests that we, humanity, are the answer. Uh, That we evolve, that we are getting better all the time, that we are developing and uh, growing in our understanding and growing in our kind of tolerance. And after all, as we say to one, uh, one another, you know, we are intelligent and by very nature compassionate and loving. But have you wondered if that worldview stands? That kind of, it's a very prevalent worldview, isn't it? The way that we think of each other and the way we think of humanity. Do you think it really stands, having looked back at the year that we've just seen? Certainly given the events of, let's just plot through a few of the last 12 months. Let's have a look. Paris, shootings. Aleppo, right now. The 85 being killed as a truck kind of drives through the celebrations of Bastille Day in Nice on the promenade there. Uh, Endless mass shootings in the United States, month after month after month. The list could go on as we stretch further around the world. And you have to say, what a year, closer to home. Should we just think about that for a moment? We live in a culture that prides itself, don't we? We say we're a tolerant culture. And that apparently has become a British value, so our parliament now tell us. And in fact, you, only, you have to be able to sign up to their view of tolerance now to get a public office, so we heard in the news today. The problem is we've never been so divided. Hate crime and racism are higher than ever. Even amongst the kind of bourgeoisie, the middle class, as we, many of us here are, you know, there is huge division. And do you remember, you know, are you a Brexiteer or you're a Remainer? Well, that just doesn't matter now, does it? But now we're, we're still arguing about, oh, are you going to hard or soft? You know, which way are you going to go? I wonder whether all this kind of angst and division will affect your Christmas. This cartoon suggests it may. It says at the bottom there, uh, the gentleman says, I favour a hard Christmas. No sending money, no trading gifts, and definitely no movement of relatives. You may sympathise with that slightly. Now, I love Christmas, and I don't want to be the kind of the Grinch this evening, uh, in, you know, sucking all the joy out of the, se- uh, of the season like the characters in this cartoon. My aim is fairly simple, I think. That is, I'm not going to try to push hard or soft Christmas. I want to take us back, if I can, to the first Christmas, the authentic Christmas. And what better way to do that than by looking at the music of Christmas? Because whether you or I like it or not, music over the years has probably moulded our view of Christmas. Perhaps even our understanding of what Christmas is. Well, from the sentimental to the the religious, from the profound to the downright cheesy, Christmas music is unavoidable. From about early November now, 
in the shops, on the radios, in those annoying elevator things, you know, that go up and down. You just can't get away, with, uh, away from it at the moment. And I wonder, you know, if you were to write down, what's your top ten favourite Christmas songs? Of course, you know, there'd be a lot of kind of similarities in our list, but we all have our top ten, don't we? I was driving the other day and Driving Home for Christmas came along with Chris Rear. What a terrible song. But it was on the radio again and again and again. It's interesting, though. As I was looking through, what are our top ten favourite Christmas songs of all time? It's interesting. Of the top ten in our country, do you realise only one mentions Jesus? And that is a terrible one. It is by Boney M. (laughs) And it was written in 1978. And it's Mary's boy child. That's the only one, though, in the top ten of our Christmas favourite songs. Now, I'm not surprised by that. And it doesn't particularly bother me, you know, uh, uh, or uh, I, I don't think any Christian would be bothered about. I'm not offended, for example, by Slade's great classic. Well, here it is, Merry Christmas, everybody's having fun. I'm not going to sing it, but you all know it. I'm not offended uh, as a Christian uh, by that song because it fails to mention anything about Jesus. Yes, I am offended by that song, just musically, it's so bad. But I'm not offended because it doesn't mention Jesus. You know, songs about the festive time that we have, the food that we enjoy, the traditions that we enjoy. All of these things, yeah, even the charity songs, that there are many out at the moment. Uh, these are great things. All of those things are good things. But have you noticed how the songs of Christmas can easily get moulded into one confused pot? Intertwined amongst the sentimental trash as you listen to your Spotify Christmas playlist. You will find the cheesy right beside the profound. And you will find, therefore, the authentic right beside, sometimes even the downright depressing. Do you realise that the fourth most popular Christmas song, it was second last year, it's now fourth. Uh, it's, it's that great song, and it's a beautiful piece of music, music, and it's by the Pogues. It's called The Fairy Tale of New York. People know that? Uh, it's baffled the music world for years. Why? Well, because it's probably the most miserable song that you'll ever listen to. Yes, it's it's focused in the lyrics around a cold Christmas Eve. But it is about alcoholism and heroin addiction ruining a relationship. Because that is the story of Shane McGowan. The picture's going to come up. I'm not going to leave it up for very long. That is him at the midst heroin addiction. But I'm sure many of us. Many of us indeed will have been to, you know, somewhere and you hear it and you kind of sing along. It's a beautiful old lilt kind of an Irish tune there. But just look at the lyrics for a moment with me, if you can. Get that picture off, it's horrible. First verse. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. And an old man said to me, won't see another one. And then he sang a song, a rare old mountain Jew. I, I turned my face away and dreamt about you. There's a bit of hope, actually. <laughs> He's speaking, he's in a terrible situation in a drunk tank, and an old man saying, I'm not going to see another year. And he's thinking of this relationship, this loved one that he has. And the second verse gets some more hope, and then you get to the third verse, and an argument ensues. And I'm not going to read all of the words because they're rude. You're a bum, you're a punk, you're an old. On junk, that's heroin, lying there almost dead on a drip in that bed. You scumbag, you. And it goes on, happy Christmas. I pray, God, it's our last. Get the words off. It's awful. 
I don't like putting those words up there, but it is odd, isn't it? This song will play thousands upon thousands of times this Christmas, and many of us will sing along. It's a great little tune. Smiling, drinks in our hands. We know it probably quite well, but we will be completely oblivious to the brokenness and the hopelessness of the lyrics. The same is true for songs like Do They Know It's Christmas. Do you know the famous one uh, that was written about the, uh, the famine crisis in 1984? It's been re-released four times. Every single time it's got to number one. And it's raised millions upon millions of pounds wonderfully uh, to, for people in, in crisis in, in Africa and many other nations. Every time it just slots in there into the sing-along Christmas playlist without any thought to what the lyric or the sentiment the lyric is saying. The Christmas playlist mould into this one amorphous pot of sing-along tunes with minimal mention of anything to do with the real Christmas. But it's not just songs of the charts that get reduced to that level. I was in Oxford Street the other day. I went to John Lewis. And uh, there I was. I got in the, I went to go to the top floor because that's where the best things are. And um, I got in the, the lift and went right to the top. Two ladies coming beside me, and on the little you know, speaker in the, in the thing, a, a carol came on. It was, O Come All Ye Faithful. And these two ladies came in, one of them goes, Oh, I love this one. <laughs> and then they started singing it in the, in the lift with me. I was going, Okay, I'll sing along. Okay. <laughs> Here they are, here's the words. Here's what they were singing. I know this one, she said. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold. We've sung this, haven't we, already? Come the born the King of Angels. Come the Lord Christ the Lord. It's a brilliant carol. Uh, of all the carols that we sing, it's, it, it follows what we call a very classically hymnic kind of form. That is, uh, it, it's written in a way which is easily memorable. And it's a, it's a very simple tune, but it's got these wonderful kind of poetic words full of truths of the first Christmas, the authentic Christmas. And it's brilliant. It's a wonderful carol. But look at it. O come all ye faithful. It's a call to examine the king of angels. That is, God himself born into humanity. And the prescribed call of the carol is for us to worship and adore him. Because he's Christ, as it says. That is, the promised saving king. And who is also Lord, God in human flesh. I wonder if that lady in John Lewis, I wonder if she had any clue of what she was singing. Was she really willing to adore and worship Jesus with her whole life? Because that's what the song says. The problem we have, I think, is that Christmas music is very disarming. Chuck in a few sleigh bells, a mention of Christmas, and most presume that the lyrics that they're being sung are about as benign as We're Walking in the Air by Alan Jones. Again, which is a terrible song. <laughs> Whether it's a, you know, an Irish folk lilt, or, you know, like Fairytale New York, or a carol like O Come All You Faithful, in a sense, the lyrical content has been blocked somewhat from our radars. If I wrote a hymn, and I, I say this cautiously um, to make a point, but if I were to write a hymn, a carol, praising Stalin and Hitler, 
but I was to put it to the tune of Heart the Herald Angels Sing, I wonder whether that lady in the lift would go, oh yeah, I like this one. Simply because the tune has disarmed her. Obviously I'm overstating to make the point, but have you realised how we lack discernment with regard to the music of Christmas? Let me give you one last example. It's a little silly example, but I hope it makes the point. Do you realise the nonsense that we're prepared to sing at Christmas? I include myself in this as well, so don't worry. Um, You will know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, won't you? We we all know this. I'm going to try to see if you know this. This is the audience participation part. Mumble if you like. (laughs) On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Well done. That went better than I thought. So that was good. Now, as the song continues, you will know that it is a cumulative thing, isn't it? You have the first day and then the second day. And on the second day, you also get what the first day says. So, and on the third day, you get the third day, second day and first day. It's called something mathematically, but I'm not going to go into that. It's very dull. Um, but there we go. What you get is you get this cumulative bounty for the true love. Let me show you what really you have sung by the time you get to the end of the song. After 12 days of Christmas, my true love has given me, past tense obviously, 12 drummers drumming, 22 pipers piping, 30 lords are leaping, 36 ladies dancing, 40 maids are milking, 42 swans that are swimming, 36 geese that are laying, 40 golden rings, which wouldn't be bad if they were 18 carats. 36 calling birds, 30 French hens, 22 turtle doves, and 12 partridges in a pear tree. Probably 12 pear trees because it's cumulative. (laughs) You get the idea? What utter nonsense. But we lack discernment, don't we, when it comes to the songs of Christmas. In a sense, all the music has been tinselized. Excuse the word. Now, I love the carols that we sing. And they have so much to teach us about the true, authentic Christmas. Uh, So I do invite you to take these home, read them through, learn more about all that Jesus has done for you. But do remember that many of these carols, they were written in Victorian times, and they speak, for example, in the bleak midwinter, they speak of all these kind of images of bleak, dark, snowy winters. Not because first century Bethlehem was like that in any way whatsoever. They're simply using those as kind of metaphors of the bleak, dark wholeness of, our, of my heart and your heart perhaps before God. Without Jesus being born, I am freezing cold in the darkness of my own heart. And that is why I need to know about the simple joy of the authentic first Christmas. And if we're going to do that through the music of Christmas, what I'm going to suggest we do now very, very quickly as we close is that we we look back to the first song of Christmas. The first of which we heard in a reading earlier. It's called the Mary's Song. You'll see it printed on your sheets. And for just a few moments, if I can encourage you, if you want clarity about Christmas, and more importantly, clarity about the God who's behind Christmas, who came at Christmas, there's no better place to look than this first song of Christmas. I want you to notice one thing. Firstly, as we just glance down at that that song, Mary's song, have you ever noticed, although it's sung by Mary, Mary doesn't speak about herself much, does she? Because it's all about God. 
Now you think of that, to all the Christmas songs that you and I know, we hear on the radio, or wherever we hear them, you know, by contrast, you look at Frank Sinatra's absolutely gem, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Like so many songs that we hear, it's about what we get. It's about who we are, what we can experience. Well, the first Christmas song sung by Mary, she looks away and points to God. Can I ask you, what do you think about God? If you believe in God or a God-like power, and apparently roughly 80% of the population of this country in some way do, who is God in your mind and heart? What, what is he like? Is he some impersonal force? You know, surely, therefore, he can't be very powerful. Have you seen the state of the world? And he can't be very loving because, again, have you seen the state of the world? That's what you may be thinking right now. You may be thinking, well, he must be distant. He can't know me. Or maybe you just think, nah, he's just non-existent. In this historical account that we read of Mary experiencing what she does... We see God, we can learn something about God immediately because he sends an angel, which is supernatural in and of itself. That tells us something of God, but we're not going to focus on that. That was the first reading. We're really going to see Mary's response in this song because I think it tells us just as much about God. In this first song of Christmas, let me show you two things very, very quickly as we close that you can learn about God. And I encourage you to learn these things. Firstly, God is mindful of you. It's printed there in your sheets in verse 48. For he, that is of God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's Mary's singing of God of, about her there. Now, it's interesting. You know, as God stoops down into humanity, he could have done it via a queen to a palace. But he chose the lowly. He was mindful of Mary. Look at what that tells you about God. He cares for even the lowliest. Isn't that extraordinary? Mary sings in very personal terms as the song begins. But as the song goes on, she sings of God's mindfulness of the people. Uh, and she sees her place in God's plan for those people. And what we see is that God has been faithful to many promises as she sings in verse 55. And Mary is part of that for which she rejoices. God has made these promises. And one of them particularly is that she pr he promised 600 years before, as re it's recorded in the book of Isaiah. It's a very popular reading, Isaiah chapter 9. And that promise is that God would rescue his people via a son. And Mary sings because God has been faithful to that promise. Because the son promise will be given through her. And that is, you see, my friends, what God is like. He makes promises because he is mindful of his people. And those promises, you see, are about to be fulfilled in Jesus being born. God is mindful both of Mary... And God is mindful of his people as he, as he gets personally involved with his people. Now, let me illustrate that. If, if you're a citizen of this country, in a sense you're a subject constitutionally of the Queen, aren't you? Uh, but it's interesting. Her greatness as the Queen 
How is that revealed to us? Well, it's revealed in a kind of distance, isn't it? She is isolated from you and I. You can't go, oh, a queenie, let's go down to Starbucks. I want to buy you a latte. You can't do that. Her greatness is revealed in her distance from us. Do you see how it's flipped over with God? God's greatness is revealed in his intimacy with us. He knows my name as he knows Mary's here. He knows every hair on my head. That's not very impressive. He knows every hair on all of your heads. He cares about me. He knows my worries. He knows what keeps me awake at night. The creator God, however big and powerful he is, is mindful of me and you. Whatever picture you have of Christmas and of the God of Christmas, listen to this first Christmas song and note this if you can. God is mindful of you. He's not distant. He's not uncaring. And he's made these promises to provide a saviour in the form of a son. God is mindful of you because he has definitively acted in history to lovingly help each one of us to be in relationship with him for eternity in his love. So firstly, God is mindful of you. Secondly, God is mighty of you. Much, much more briefly. Notice in verse 49 that Mary sings of God being the mighty one who does great things. Similarly, she says, very similarly, verse 51. See, Mary sings really clearly here that God, the image uses, he's using all sorts of warrior, warlike language of God. He turns human attitudes completely upside down. The proud are scattered, we see in verse 51. Such power. You cannot hide from it. That's the point here. He knows your inmost thoughts as she sings. Such power even to bring mighty empires down, we see in verse 50. We've seen that throughout history. And by the way, God hasn't stopped in that. But notice one thing, just as we close. Verse 53, Mary sings that God has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. Now, my friends, we are relatively wealthy people. We should all know that by now that money can't buy us happiness. It can buy us some, but certainly not happiness that will last. But we'll also know that we cannot take our wealth with us. And God is mighty over us. And the point that the song makes is here is he doesn't use his might and his power vindictively, but rather very purposefully and lovingly to humble us. Sometimes you have good things taken away from you in life, don't you? You know, a parent will take away a toy, a game from a child to, to, to show them more about themselves, to show them that they need to be someone different. Uh, you know, a boss will take a privilege away from uh, someone at work. In a similar way, in loving, purposeful discipline. The problem is life is easy, isn't it, for many of us? Very, very easy. When we are rich, it's far too easy to kid ourselves and to think that we are mightier than we actually are. And in so doing, we completely forget how much more mighty God is. Mary sings about a God who is mindful, but also a God who is mighty and powerful and a God who doesn't fit around my preferences and my priorities, nor yours. 
God is both mindful of you, but he's also mighty over you. Mary sings and rejoices in this, that first Christmas. But please do hear the warning of the song. Don't treat this song like all of the other Christmas songs that you know, we kind of listen to on our, our playlist. It's, it's like a nagging mum, isn't it? At Christmas, you know, when all you've got all those pots and pans to wash up, all you want to do after eating five turkeys is sit down, lie down and watch some trash on TV. And your, your mum's sort of nagging and saying, oh, can you do something? You just zone out, don't you? You don't listen. Maybe you're better children than that. Maybe you're better than me. But yeah, listen, hear the song. God is both mindful of you and and the warning is that he will fill the hungry and the humble with good things. But he will send away the rich empty. Your bank balance is not the issue here. Your heart is the issue. Are you humble and hungry for the good things of God? Or are you stubbornly self-sufficient with your preconceived ideas of a distant, removed God? I would love you to enjoy all of the music of Christmas, even Slade. But give yourself a moment amongst all the Brussels sprouts to consider who God is according to the first Christmas song, Mary's song, which tells us these two things. God is mindful of you. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his only son to live a life that you could not live and then to die on a cross, a death for you. And if you want to know more about that, I'd love to tell you more. That is the loving, saving work of God. And the call is to trust that love. To trust and know that God is mindful of you, but also that God is mighty over you. He sends away the rich empty so come humble and hungry and be prepared for God to fill you because he will not stop let's pray as we close Lord God and Heavenly Father we do love this time of year in many 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 ways please help us just to ponder for a moment if we can tonight and maybe in the hours to come just who you are Maybe in our adult lives, we've, adult lives, we've never really given any space and time. We're so busy. Life is good in many, many ways. But please, just for a moment, help us all to consider afresh who you are, who you revealed yourself to be, and all that you've done through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that very first Christmas. Amen.